Ladies and gentlemen, uh, you, you're privileged to, to be listening to another episode of Halal Cartels. We're recording this on a glorious Sunday afternoon. It's me, Gabe Pacheco. And me, Samir Nassim. Yeah, just uh, unwinding, decompressing after a fun weekend, man. How's your weekend been so far? It was all right. I uh, was having a good time, and then I pulled my back. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was going to lift one of my kids, and it just like did like a sna- one of those spasms, you know? Sure. What if, ha- what if lifting a child is the origin story of your, to be romanticized in the future, opioid addiction <laughs> that you get over on your uh, biopic, uh, <laughs> and then you have a third act celebration? Yo, I had a couple leftover opiates from like uh, previous... Uh, like back pullings. No, no, no. It was was something way. It was something terrible. It was from like a dental thing. But, um, I, I had a couple of those and I was like, I'm not going to eat them, but I was in savage pain because I just didn't, I didn't, I wanted to go out last night and I was wishful that it would go away. I was like, it's going to be fine. It'll be fine. And it only got worse as the day progressed. Then I finally took one and was reminded why they are a problem because they're just so fucking lovely. <laughs> I was like, what pen? I actually could still feel the pen a sure. little bit, but it was drastically reduced. Yeah. So, yeah, they're uh, like, so how, so what are the what are the tools to get over a backache, everybody? Uh, you need some Epsom salts, uh, a heating pad, maybe some nice music to listen to, and uh, 50 milligrams of hydrocodone. <laughs> I feel like that would make you <laughs> die. That yeah, much. I mean, I'm whatever not, the dosage is, whatever. I don't have my own apothecary, so yeah. I'm just making up. I'm making up milligrams. I mean, it that's. Feels very great, but it's yeah, for that reason, not I'm, a good thing. I'm sad that uh, this happened because you missed out, man. Uh, I invited you out last night, and I got to do uh, Joanna Ross and Dan Goodman's show. Uh, stick, stick on a pole. Stick a pole on it. Stick a pole on it. Yeah. Yes, uh, I just call it stick it. But it's yeah. been going. This show's been going on nine years, and it is a uh, combo show of pole dancing and stand up comedy. And it was in the Lower East Side, or the East Village, rather, um, at a place called Drom. And there were like 150 people there. Awesome venue. Such a great venue. And the crowd is so hype. They do it once a month. But, um, yeah, I got to do stand-up after watching some pole dancing. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout-outs to Dan Goodman. Uh, one of my favorite things that he did in comedy. Uh, and it's not the highlight of his career, but the highlight of something I'll never forget is when he made the trailer for Skinja, which was a movie that unfortunately was never made, but it was a movie about um, the premise was a stripper by night, um, ninja by later that night. <laughs> and if you guys go on Vimeo, you can look up Skinja. Yeah, the trailer. S-K-I-N-J-A. Yeah. yeah. And I oh, will never forget it because I was an extra... At Pumps, which is like the Bushwick uh, strip club, yep. and he got he got permission to use Pumps during the daytime, and it was ju- he just filled it with a rogues gallery of the comedians of that day, and um, and then Skinja, this he had scouted the entire tri-state area to find a uh, pole dancer who was also into martial arts, yeah, so, to make it authentic, and so we just filmed a trailer there that day, and. All of my takes, this was like early in my acting career, were just me being as scared as possible when violence and mayhem broke out at the strip club. (laughs) I I saw you in the trailer. I was dying. It's so amazing how committed he was to that because it came out really good. And it was very reminiscent of a Robert Rodriguez fake trailer in Grindhouse. Yeah. It really was. He's uh, brilliant at making up fake movies. As <laughs> he bits. is. So uh, anyway, shout outs to Dan Goodman and uh, Stick It and Joanna Ross. So yeah, they have an amazing show. It's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, man. It's so it's been a good weekend. After that, I did Big Break, and uh, I also, which is the show I do every other Saturday uh, with Khalid Rahman, and that's at uh, the Nest in Prospect Lefferts Garden. Right. I'm just doing plugs right now, but we're going somewhere with it. You yeah. know, because because uh, uh, to decompress from all of that, I saw the Batman. 
Yes. Yeah. To use your uh, pronunciation <laughs> styles. Batman. The Batman. Yeah. Robots. Whiteman. I love how it's Batman. just called the Batman. The Batman. Uh, yeah, dude. Um, you know, and I'm going to try to not spoil it for you because you haven't had a chance to see it. But to be honest, and it, it's been out for uh, three days now. So, you know, you should have seen it. <laughs> I should have seen it. <laughs> Anyone listening to this should have seen it as well. Yeah, uh, by far, I got to say, my favorite Batman story. And it is like Seven and Zodiac mashed up. It's basically a horror movie that uh, harkens back to like David Fincher directing styles Mm -hmm. and uh, with Batman being a detective rather than being like a superhero. Mm -hmm. You know, he's he's basically Sherlock Holmes in a cape with a mask. And uh, it's dope. It, it it feels like it hits on so many things. Like, um, they don't talk about climate change, but there are seawalls in uh, Gotham City that keep the water out. And that's, like, what Manhattan is going to need to be within 30 years. It's just, you know, we're going to have to have seawalls. Yeah. You know, because uh, because without that. It'll be underwater. Exactly. They're already talking about that right now. You know, it's unfathomable how that would work, too, because there's the fucking, like, ocean. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, yeah, we'll stop the ocean. Yeah. What the hell can stop the ocean? It's insane. Yeah. So so instead of moving to higher land, we're going to double down on some unsustainable real estate. Yeah. We're, you know, as Americans, we're really good at building these very ambitious walls. Yeah. Yeah. We love the walls. <laughs> we love the walls. But they always <laughs> pan out really good, too. <laughs> They're also a good investment. <laughs> uh, walls seem so uh, wildly uh, impractical because the minute that you build one, somebody can just, like, catapult something over it <laughs> yeah. or dig a tunnel underneath it. So You know, people don't understand also what it means for the water levels to rise they don't realize that that there's nothing stopping the water once the water level rises yeah it's not like it's it gets it gets tired and stops after (laughs) a few hundred feet it's like it'll go all the way to chicago if it wants yeah like the atlantic ocean will just it's just gonna keep going it's gonna gonna do what it does Yeah. yeah it's massive there's so much water so, uh, so that's yeah. one thing about the movie's three hours long, but it kind of it, it flies by. I, you should wear a diaper if you're you going to see it. Everyone is saying that. <laughs> everyone, okay. So every review I've read. Also, I skim reviews to uh-huh. avoid any type of spoiler, but they were all complaining about its length. Yeah, they're like it's noticeably painful towards the end when you're like, "How long have I been here, dude?" I felt like I was going to get deep vein thrombosis. <laughs> I felt like I was on one of those like uh, intercontinental flights where they warn you ahead of time, like stand up and move. Yeah. If a movie is more than an hour and 25 minutes long, it should have a five minute intermission. Yeah. And there should be somebody on the screen come out to tell you to like Daniel Day Lewis should do a promo in the middle of movies where it's just like, all right, everybody stand up, move around. And like you should get up and have to do calisthenics like we lived in communist China. Yeah, because nothing is worse than having to take the ultimate piss and the movie is an ending. Yes. And then you don't want to miss the end. You need right. that resolution. And the problem is the movie was so good that there was no moment where I wanted to get up right. and go and take the piss. Right. Because I felt like I was going to miss something. Or they should actually just plan a boring ass, a couple boring ass scenes if your movie's going to be three hours long and put like a little red dot at the top of the screen, like a little burn thing from fight club like when it's time to change the reel yeah. and it's like okay cool we're not going to stop the movie but this is a great time where nothing is going to happen for real and you can go take a piss right like we're just going to have the main character like stare out of a window forlorn forlorn right with like nirvana playing in the background i mean this is a great idea too for movie theaters because then someone could go get a refill of their soda yeah man right go get like more popcorn Absolutely. I mean, I'm, tr- you know, we're trying to move units here. I realize that yeah. a movie theater experience is not about seeing the movie. It's about selling product. Yeah. It's about pushing that popcorn, baby. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how it works out. The box office sales, go, how they translate to the production itself. But 
I know there has to be some direct correlation. So it's not that the ticket is all profit. It's yeah. really where the concessions come in. But let's be honest, I'd be bringing like all my snacks. Dude, I, I stuffed them in my jacket pockets. Back in the day, I used to uh, in the in the summertime, I would go and watch movies at like eleven a.m. the matinee, and I yeah. would just stay in the movie theater for like four or five, six hours, and I would uh, bring a Tupperware container with salad, yeah, and another Tupperware container with the dressing, and I would like toss to, I toss my own salad <laughs> in the theater, and I would bring um I would bring a sweater in my book bag too because even though it was summertime. Uh, the the air conditioners would be blasting so cold that if you stayed for more than three hours, you'd start getting hypothermia. So I would just wear. I would be in there like a like a like an Andean uh, South American, you know, like a Argentinian or Chilean in like a sweater. I love that shit. And I'd bring I'd bring uh, pants too. Would you theater hop? Yeah, yeah. totally. Yep. Yeah. yeah, that's gonna, the way. You gotta watch Scream. The best part is a lot of people Three. are afraid to do that. They don't want to get in trouble. But yeah. movie theater employees do not give a shit, especially when the movie theaters aren't packed. You don't care what movie it is either, dude, especially in the summer when it was like, because I didn't have money at this point. Or, yeah. right, you know, this was uh, right when I first moved to New York. And I was like, all right, what what's the biggest bang I can get for my buck? Right. Let's see, like three three flicks. Yeah. Yeah. Pre-streaming. And you don't have to melt outside in the boiling heat. Yeah. 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 So uh that that was the hack. I wonder I mean, I'm sure there are theaters you could still do that at. I was trying to live healthy though with the salads. Yeah, I feel like you could do that by going to the bathroom. Yeah. Right? And then coming out and then the coast is clear and then going into another movie that's in progress. Totally. You stay in the stall and then you lift your feet up and you gargoyle. <laughs> So they can't see your feet underneath the stall. Hell yeah. Yeah. And also, if you have to take a dump, that's like the best way to do it. It's kind of like you're protecting your skin from <laughs> everyone else. Yeah, you just gargoyle. Yeah. It's yeah. the Indian way. Well, so I, I'm curious. This is the thing I was going to say. The way I know that it was Fincher-esque yeah. is because of the original teaser photo of what the Riddler would look like, Paul Dana. Amazing, amazing. And Paul I was like, yeah. oh, so the Zodiac Killer, because it was straight up something out of yeah. the... Yeah. I wish the movie was rated R. Unfortunately, it's PG-13, but you, it feels rated R, you know? And uh, I, I think the director, Matt Reeves, could have gone even further, but he, uh, the Riddler... So this movie tackles so many contemporary uh themes like now so the villain is the most parasocial um villain in any movie right it 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 feels like how we have punishers that come to art sometimes like yes. as performers yes as performers you uh you have a punisher like a fan who identifies with you uh way too much yes and feels like they own you or like have some uh per- just sense of like intimacy with you that's not real. Right. Uh parasocial relationship. And this uh Paul Dano's Riddler thinks he is a hero and thinks that uh he is he's inspired by Batman in the same way the Joker was. But like this Riddler um is also he's just killing corrupt uh political officials and cops, which is cool. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> like like so where's the crime? Right, exactly. <laughs> He's just a logical extension of what Batman is already doing. So like in the Dark Knight, the Joker is killing um uh criminals. Yeah. He's a more extreme criminal. He took over the underworld. In this one, Paul Dano's Riddler is uh just murdering crooked P- uh DAs on the take. It is a movie about um the bleakness of our institutions. You know, like in in life today, it doesn't feel like it matters who you vote for. Oh, that's like absolutely true. Yeah, you're you vote for AOC and you think she's going to be awesome, and then she goes to the MoMA and wears like a tax the rich dress and is not really like she's not a, really an activist, you know, or right. like she's just a politician. That is one take you can have. I have, or Washington D.C. is another example where. Washingtonians recently vote. They voted to legalize marijuana. Yeah, Congress is like hell yeah, and yet it's not going to pass. So like it doesn't matter 
whether we vote. It doesn't matter what we care about. Right. Because of the corporate capture of our institutions. And Gotham in Batman is the same, where it feels like no matter there's a political election happening on in Gotham during the movie. And it like literally doesn't matter which of those politicians wins because the mob has their fangs already. In both of them. Yes. Right. So um Paul Dano's Riddler feels like the the only solution is acts of uh extreme terror towards the corrupt. Right. And in that he is like seven. He is like John Doe from seven. Right. Because he is trying to enact the seven deadly sins on the people who are doing them, in his opinion. Yes, right. yes. The fact that he it doesn't even hate Batman. He likes Batman. And he's just like, oh, Batman fights crime. I'm going to fight crime, too. <laughs> and so, and then when, you know, so he, like, in his mind, he's, like, writing love letters to Batman and shit. And he's like, yeah, we're the same. We're doing the same thing, which is kind of like the neo-Nazi and falling down. I don't right. know if you remember that movie with Michael Douglas. Yeah, I love it. But that's a fantastic film about L.A. And there's one scene where Michael Douglas is uh, every man character who is, ha- you know, had a bad day and snapped, yeah. goes into the basement of the Army Fatigue store, the Army Surplus store, and the uh, the owner of it is a neo-Nazi who's been following Michael Douglas's media posts during the day, like the highlights on the news. And because he's... He is also having a parasocial relationship with Michael Douglas, and he's like, "We're the same," you know. Yeah, and Michael Douglas is like, "No, no, I dude. just hate everyone. <laughs> I hate everyone. I'm an equal opportunity misanthrope. I'm not a Nazi." Yeah. And that's like the same with you know when Batman and Riddler. Riddler's just like, "I'm just a version of we're we're playing this game together, right, buddy?" Right. That's amazing. <laughs> I can't wait to watch it. You got to see it. Yeah. Because uh, I've been watching the old ones, the sure, Michael Douglas ones. Or, sorry, uh, Christian Michael Bale, Keaton. Michael Keaton. Why did I say Michael Douglas? Michael <laughs> Keaton, the Michael Keaton ones. Yeah, I forgot that the Danny DeVito, Michelle Pfeiffer one was also Michael Keaton. Yes. Yep. Yeah, and that's uh, he. That's a great one. Uh, Tim Burton. It felt like he didn't really care about Batman at all. Yeah. Like he really identified with the bat with the um the weirdos because yeah. I bet he would have loved to have made a movie that was just called like Catwoman and Penguin. Right, because that's what that movie was like. Yeah, yeah. They, they were both so bizarre, the characters, and it was all just wacky circus style. I loved it, man. Somebody, yeah. it Because, it, like, uh, really, <laughs> the first Batman, uh, the Joker just wants to have a party and have a good time. Right. I love that. I love that, that version of him. He's just having a, a blast. <laughs> but he's also a cold-blooded killer. You know? Yeah, it's funny that though <laughs> that uh, those movies were considered dark at the time. Yeah, because um, these are this new Batman is so nihilistic. It presents a world that is almost hopeless, and the villains feel so much more uh, grounded. Like Tim Burton's feel like lovable, whereas uh, Dano's Riddler feels like a, a today a, a QAnon person from today. You know, he, uh, it also has echoes of like Epstein shit because when you think about what these QAnon people think is that there's a conspiracy, a cabal of wealthy people who are conspiring together in corrupt, in corruption. Right. And so that is the reality that this Batman, the Batman presents is that there truly is a cabal of wealthy people who are uh, keeping everything stagnated. That's what the Riddler is attacking. So it's like a pro-QAnon. Not that QAnon's right, but that it is pro-we-are-all-being-fucked by wealthy people. 100%. An oligarchy, if you will. He was radicalized by Batman and is using social media to radicalize other people because the Riddler's got fans as well. Really? Yeah. And there's social media in this Yeah, because uh, he's streaming. It's never like that in a Batman movie where people are like tweeting. Yeah. Well, in the first, in the Dark Knight, the Joker videotaped his torture kills oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. of like little Batman fan, little Batman boys. Yeah. But that uh, echoed what was happening in Iraq, in Afghanistan, Iraq mostly, with right. the kidnapping of American um, 
what is it? Uh, consultants. Yeah, and consultants. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which means like, you know, operatives for yeah, the U.S. government and mercenaries. and mercenaries. So yeah, dude, if they with all the consultants that got beheaded, like, why were you there? So honestly, that's on them. But that's what the Joker was doing. Whereas this time, uh, the Riddler is uh, posting on um, like TikTok and he's like live streaming his crimes and there's people like smashing the likes because he is a, he's an avenging angel. Right. Wow. I can't <laughs> wait to see this. Yeah. The thing you were just mentioning, that's what probably to me is the most exciting. Uh, Cause I don't like the wackiness of Batman sometimes. <laughs> you, you know? The movies where he's just like, slapping people or like punching them and then they're like i'm knocked out now and then he's like they shouldn't be a problem for society later yeah to keep it moving it's like either handcuff them to something and like then keep moving or whatever don't just knock them out they're gonna keep doing bad stuff the whole cabal thing is absolutely real and this is something that bothers me about modern day life the whole epstein thing is obvious he clearly didn't kill himself, but mm-hmm. the fact that Ghislaine Maxwell is they're even questioning her going to jail or how much time she's going to get or any of that. The fact that people were having leniency on her and openly trying to talk about having leniency on her. Then this whole thing was confirmed by the prince getting <laughs> busted and, and the royal family is trying to distance themselves from him. Yes. And then I read, I was like, okay, what is all this stuff about Bohemian Grove that all these QAnon people talk about? And like everyone just talking about Bohemian Grove. I did a deep dive of reading into it. And it is a pretty sketchy place where sketchy things happen. The world's elite are allowed to be there, but only men are allowed to be there after sundown. Yes. Which is so weird. Well, it is, uh, it is. It, and uh, I don't want to get into the idea that there's like Pizzagate is real. Yeah, I'm you know? not, it's not like people eating like babies or whatever that but, people say. But but when we look at like Joe Manchin, uh, his daughter was uh, on the head of a uh, Mylan farm farm big pharma, right? So she's works with Mylan to jack up the prices for EpiPens, right? Right. So there is collusion between like why is she uh, in in big pharma? Why is it, there is a corporate capture there where you've got like this senator and you've got his daughter working against the will of uh, Americans, right? For um, finan- personal financial gains, or uh, Nancy Pelosi, and not only her, but every congressperson and senator who uh, trade sucks. No, like gets the inside scoop yeah. because they're getting briefings on uh, national security issues and. Then you know recalibrating their stock portfolio based on that, right? So that is that's the corruption, right? And it's in, it's rampant and it's widespread and it's out in the open. There is a unspoken rule: if you're wealthy or you're a politician, that you'll get away with anything. There's no insider trading for politicians, but there is for a little guy who potentially makes twenty thousand dollars on something and then gets caught for insider trading. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. Yeah. Or like, uh, what is it? Hunter Biden is like on the board of some energy company in the Ukraine. Yeah. yeah. So how about, you know, the connections are there, baby. Yeah. I just, I just, uh, I won't talk anymore about the Batman because I don't want to spoil it for you. But what I found really fascinating was that it, he is a parasocial character, the Riddler, and yep. he is a fan of Batman. And I've been noticing this trend in uh, American like movies. And where, like, we're focused so much now on the parasocial relationship between fans and the creators of art. Like, another movie I saw recently was The Fanatic, Fanatic, which stars John Travolta, and he plays, like, a, um, a collector of signatures of celebrities in Hollywood, and he is, like, pathologically in love with, uh, with an artist, with an actor who's, like, a horror movie actor. And uh, a fictitious character, but I, it just feels I was just seeing this pattern, this echo of uh, this is where we're at now is like villains or sympathetic characters who are obsessed with a celebrity. Yeah, 
that they've never met. Right. Like we but live they in- feel like they know them and they have some crazy relationship and yeah. And they're meant to be close <laughs> to that celebrity. Yeah. 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 We're living in a world where uh, we're all in the in Eminem's Stan song. <laughs> <laughs> The Social world media really stands. opened that up too. Yeah, because people are celebrities try and humanize themselves on social media by posting like fake, like humble posts there. Yeah, and then people in the comments are like, "I love when you do that," or <laughs> "Yay, congrats for you." It's like they don't know you. What do you mean, congrats? Yeah, yeah. So uh, there's that, and then the other, the on the flip side of that, the other great American um, story right now protagonist, if it's not a Stan. The other great protagonist is the scam artist. So we've got stands and scammers. And uh, the, the I was watching the Theranos. Um, yes. What is it? Uh, On Hulu? Dropout. Yeah. Yes. And again, man, uh, she's not special. We She's not a lone wolf. I just feel like almost everyone who is a su- success, success mindset, grind set entrepreneur is a scammer. Big time. <laughs> yeah, they're trying to make something out of nothing. Yeah, we live in a giant pyramid scheme. Yeah, and it's rewarded, too. You see it. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Everyone in it in that show is culpable as well because they are all, like, kind of hoping that it works out. Right. They're denying reality. It's like saying people can fly. Yeah. That's how unrealistic the whole premise was of what she was trying to sell. Yeah. And any scientist could tell you, like, that's absolutely impossible to do with one blob, uh, one drop of blood. And I, I wonder, too, uh, the thing that really bummed me out watching it was not so much her story, but this uh, one drop, the, any sort of uh, medical technology that could help people was being filtered through the R&D to make something great, like the potential of what they could have made with the drop of blood thing. They needed to constantly get uh, venture capital to make it happen, to keep the R&D going. So there's no way to actually make something that will help people unless you can sell it, pitch that to investors who are billionaires who don't really care about helping people. They care about turning a profit. That is like when R&D was based in the government, then you can burn the money. It might not be efficient but you also don't need to talk to be beholden to shareholders. Right. And like have, have quick turnaround times. Right. So it it was the capital system that required them to make a profit quickly that allowed for con artists like um, Theranos to exist. Yeah, absolutely. We don't have that interest from our government in solving problems (laughs) though. We've had AIDS for what now, like 40 some odd years. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, but how long has there been corporate capture of, uh, the, of the pharmaceutical, the pharmaceutical industry is what's, uh, leads, uh, R and D. Yeah. It's not, um, so that they can upcharge the shit out of it. Yeah. That's the whole thing. Yeah. But the U S government, you know, when it wanted to put its mind towards, a you know, a scientific endeavor, it was able to create the atom bomb. Yeah. <laughs> so we did have a Manhattan project for uh er- irradiating and uh eradicating entire Japanese cities. Yeah. But Death we and destruction. Yeah. But yeah. we don't have a Manhattan project for um making cheaper insulin making something that's an alternative to insulin or or so curing, curing cancer. cancer any type of cancer. Yeah. You know, or uh even a, a corona vaccine that is a government vaccine. Right. That maybe doesn't need to be like a, a convoluted mRNA, uh, a fake, not fake, but like mm, a vaccine that it doesn't have 100% efficacy. Right. And that needs <laughs> to continually be subscribed to in order to be yeah. effective. Like, I, I got to go to Walgreens every year now to get my booster. Yeah. And I'm not anti-vax. I'm saying well, vax, yeah. I, I love being vaxxed, but it's like there's got to be a better way than th- this like... um privatized booster well everything comes back to the almighty dollar and that's one thing that i think is super interesting about this because right now people are talking about how coronavirus is over (laughs) okay and i keep hearing that and um yo new variant about to drop son yo you should see my google search history no kidding at least a few times a day i try to write 
some variation of is COVID over? Uh huh. Because I can't, I never get the memo that it was over and people just keep talking about how it's over. Yeah. Well, coronavirus is done now. I'm like, I don't, I know people who have it right now. <laughs> what do you mean it's yeah. done? And then the other thing is the whole thing we talked about in the beginning of Hall Cartels, where I said there's no way that these businesses are going to keep paying these mortgages without like pushing people to go back to the office. Oh, well, it's happening right now. All these big companies are making the quote-unquote return to work. This is all part of Joe Biden's Corona is over narrative. Yeah. Right? Like, during coronavirus, there was a lot of talk about forgiving student loans. There was a lot of talk about maybe we do need to explore universal basic income. <laughs> but, you know? And then there were like, no way, no way. Bury that shit. Bury that shit. That's over. Um what we can tell you is there is going to be no help anymore. We need to get society back on track or whatever, but it was working just fine while people were working from home. I think the quality of life index was up. I think the happiness index was up. People were able to spend more time with their family. Like the commute thing is insane. I just, I'm done. I'm never doing it again. So these people can all fuck themselves. I'm not going back to any office. Like, yeah. I mean, when we think about, uh, carbon footprints, staying home instead of, uh, dying uh, an hour a time in a, uh, four wheeled tomb while you're just like, uh, you know, filling the air with carbon monoxide. What, what is the point of staying on a highway all day and uh, wasting time? Yeah. Especially when, like, we're so worried about oil. I know. We're in wars all over the world for oil. And uh, just telecommute. Yeah. Well, that is another thing that's in the middle of happening right now. Gas prices are astronomically high. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Because we were supposed to not be dependent on gas by now. You know, they shift that that line in the sand. They're like, in, in the year 2000, they were like, by the year 2020, we'll be way less dependent on gas and we'll have more electric stuff, blah, blah, blah. And now it's just like, in the year 2025, we'd like to be gas-free. I'm like, that's three years from now. You haven't done it in the past 20 years. Are you going to do it in three years? Right. Uh, well, everybody had all this time uh, during COVID to uh, put in like HEPA air filters if they wanted to. Every place should have one of those uh, air filters like they have in rock climbing gyms yeah. that sucks all of the... Uh, talcum powder and chalk powder out of the air. Yeah. Um, we could do that and like have well-ventilated places that would completely mitigate um, any airborne illness right. for, for all of us. We haven't done anything and we're just like, I, well, fingers crossed, I guess COVID's over. But it's like, dude, you could get rid of the cold and the flu too if you wanted to. Well, there's no, there's <laughs> just, that's the, it, it comes back to it. Everything's about money. Who's making money and how? Yeah. And yeah. So nothing's about anyone else's quality of life or how we can all benefit as a society. It's all about me first. And I thought, I just thought, you know, I was a science teacher for years and I, I feel like uh, science is incompatible with commerce. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or like the, the, uh, the quest for truth through the scientific method and coming up with, um, and because if you are working for a company as a scientist in R and D, and you discover something, well, they're going to patent it or they're going to bury what you've learned if it is inconvenient for the profit motive bottom line. And then you've signed an NDA. So you can't share that proprietary knowledge anymore. Right. Like knowledge should not be proprietary. Knowledge should be um, once a human has learned something, that should be something for all of us to then be able to benefit from and build upon right like the schematics for 3d printed assault rifles yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Woo. the best part is when this started coming out uh and people started 3d printing guns yeah. 3d printers was, were still in their infancy so yeah. they were just like garbage and just printing like jagged fuck-ups yeah and the amount that they would fail or mess up was so astronomical yeah. that it just was like for every one thing you wanted to come out looking okay, yeah. you would have to print four times. Sure. But I think things have probably changed 
they're still not as affordable, but yeah, it would be funny to make a whole arsenal of 3D printed <laughs> weapons. <laughs> to to completely refute the point I just made yeah. about the free flow of information. Yeah. But I do believe in the free flow of, of information. Yeah, I'm with you. And just like anything that someone could use things for the purposes of doing something bad, but you would hope that the majority of people use it for doing something good. Yeah. So 3D printing something else that's not dangerous is important. And the ability to do that should be open to anyone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so if that's the case, like. Open source, baby. Yeah, that's what we're source. all about over here. I would love that. Yeah. I was a moderator for a fundraiser for uh, the Ukraine this yeah. uh, week. And, you know, uh, uh, I got to say it because there's so many people with like Ukraine flags in their emo- whatever in their uh, handles. Yeah, I get it. Okay. I'm all for uh, helping refugees. That is 100% true. So anybody who is a civilian um, who is uh, stuck in a war-torn country trying to get out, dude, yes. Yeah. I'm a pacifist. Hate war. Um, You know, uh, but it's a bummer when you see uh, African and Indian Refugees being turned away at the border uh, just so uh, white people can get across safely. Yeah. So, yo, fuck, fuck the fuck your uh, refugee crisis if it's not equal opportunity, if it's not letting everybody out. Exactly. I immediately uh, started um, not vibing with the white Ukrainians when I saw how they were treating uh, the other Ukraine there, the other people who were trying to get out. Yeah, they were saying this is for Ukrainians first. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's horrible. That's insane, too. Because yeah. they're in that country to study and learn Yeah, in many cases. And they're not being allowed to get out. Yeah, it really muddied the waters, let's say, for creating a uh, the narrative of uh, sort of like the, the feisty rebe- rebels versus the evil empire. You know, we can't look <laughs> yeah, at things in like, like a... Uh, Star Wars black and white terms anymore when um, the people that we think we're supporting are acting a little racist, real racist. Yeah. And then the other thing I was thinking about was I watched this video of an 11 year old kid who had to walk by himself across the border into like Poland. Yeah. And he was crying and everyone was just losing their mind over it. Over this one so white sad. child. Yeah. And then I, I was like, well, you you guys love this kid so much. What about the Mexican kids and people from El Salvador and stuff that are coming over the border that you lock in cages? Yeah. They're wearing doing the like, same thing. Wearing it's like, like an 11-year-old kid crying without his parents, but you want to put them in cages. Yeah. Yeah. Just wrapping them in, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I, this kid is so sad and needs help. Let's wrap him in some fucking uh, spaceman foil and throw him <laughs> in a cage. Yeah. Uh, safe, but where he'll be safe. Exactly. You know, which is so, yeah, it, it is that we selectively have we have selective empathy f- and uh, we uh, only see white people in the media as uh, worthy of our tears. And that is kind of the narrative that I'm seeing over and over and over in the coverage of the Ukraine. And I was uh, did this fundraiser and I told a guy beforehand, I was like, hey, uh, the only thing that we can raise that I will like co-sign raising money for or like promote is um, anything to help refugees. Right. So we like raise money for UNICEF, but you know, the talkers, we had one person who was speaking and uh, she uh, escaped the Ukraine um, right after world war two. And if you know any, the history of the Ukraine was they were invaded in world war two by the Germans and a lot of them were like pretty excited when the Germans showed up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know who, you know, you guys can look it up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then um uh a lot of them just, you know, I feel like SS troops just showed up with uh t-shirt guns and were like, <laughs> pop pop, you get a shirt, pop pop, you get a shirt. Pop, pop, you get a shirt. And all the shirts had like death, death's heads on them. And yeah. like Ukrainians were like, some, not all. A lot of the ultra nationalists were like, hell yeah. And immediately put on those SS uh, corp shirts 
and uh, you know, did their own did their own thing wearing those shirts. So uh, when the Soviets took over, and by the way, uh, the Soviet Union ended the Holocaust and uh, won World War II by invading Berlin. So shout outs to the Soviet Union for ending the the World War World War II. They right. did that, right? With a little bit of help from us, yeah. And uh, and then we like you know dropped two bombs on Japan, and created the horror show world that we live in today, right? By uh, leveling us up into the atomic age, exactly. <laughs> Which is why this is a terrifying proposition, to right? War with right. So okay, so I bring up the speaker, and uh, I'm here like. We got these speakers that are supposed to like elicit sympathy for the Ukrainian cause. And she left the Ukraine as a child um, right after the Soviets entered. And she was like, because my family was on a list. And <laughs> when she said that, I was like, why? <laughs> why would the Soviet Union uh, have your family's name on a list once they showed up? You know, because she, she wasn't a uh, religious minority or anything like that. Um, yeah, uh, and I'm not saying she was her family was collaborators with the the other side, <laughs> <laughs> but who knows? Maybe they were like landlords, which is also fair game. Yeah, but why up, would she be pushed out? Right, right, right. That's the whole thing. Why? Like, why are you a refugee now? Was everyone pushed out? Yeah, clearly not, because there's a bunch of Ukrainians who are still there. Yeah, exactly. Who were not pushed out. <laughs> exactly. So she had to go to Munich, and then from there, she ended up coming to the United States. And I'm, like, flipping through the photo gallery that I was sent to present during this uh, fundraiser, and it's, like, images of her with the Voice of America radio, which is uh, RRT. That is our propaganda wing, Voice of America. So we have a propaganda uh, station. Um, so she's working for that ag against the Soviet Union. As a, uh, and then the next photos are like her with like Colin Powell and then like her with uh, George Bush. And I'm like, oh my God, like you, I have no, you are, were a refugee and so you had my sympathy and then you came to the US and worked with the uh, worst aspects of our government. Yeah. Uh, the war criminals, the um, conservative right wing, the Christian right wing, the people who uh, are stamping out civil liberties here. So you lost all of my sympathy. And what's up with those people who come and you don't here even live in the Ukraine? And then the last thing about her, my bad. The last thing was like, okay, great, your story is harrowing. I loved your journey. Uh, I roll. What what can we do to help the people of Ukraine? And she was like, we need to send them arms. <laughs> And I was like, dude, I was so pissed to be part of this because, you know, that is her just trying to escalate and inflame uh, further conflict and throw us back into a world war. Right. But also there'll be a lot more refugees if. Yeah, you dummy. Yeah. Like we need to find a resolution to this. Yeah. A peaceful one. Not we need to give the Ukrainians more guns. Yeah. They're never going to be able to level up yeah. against. The Russians who have stockpiled what I mean, they're they <laughs> have been stockpiling shit so that they can go to war with us, not the Ukraine. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Also, um, it's interesting to me because uh I, I'm just saying it's gray. It's not there's no like bad guy and no good guy. Uh I've been watching Oliver Stone's uh, Ukraine documentaries on Rumble. <laughs> so <laughs> for real. You know, that's muddied the waters for me too, to just see all of the different interests that are in there. Um, we praise this idea of a democratic Ukraine. Like we want it to be independent. And it's so interesting to me because the United States is always saying that we want to export democracy abroad. But in a lot of these countries, so like the Ukraine, for example, uh, after 1991, they were free. They were like, they, it became its independent country. But those borders of what the Ukraine is are kind of imagined in the way that the Middle East was carved up after World War II and fakely, like, Iraq was not, you know, the borders were just, like, drawn by Britain. Right. You know? So the same thing with um, with our boys in the Ukraine. And they had, like, industries. They had dope industries. Aerospace, wep whatever, weapons. <laughs> they, they were doing things. And 
once they were integrated into uh, the open market, they were not allowed, their industries weren't allowed to compete. They were basically dismantled so that they would become a consumer state for U.S. and European products. And that, to me, is a form of neocolonialism. That is mercantilism, where we're creating the products and shipping them back. The Ukraine used to have coal. They are, like, number one coal uh, producer um, for the Soviet Union. Their coal mines are, like, left now. They're not making their own coal. They are importing coal, not from their neighbor, Russia, which is super close, but from the U.S., across the Atlantic Ocean, and from South Africa, because they want to be a free democracy. They're economically uh, shackled to terrible trade deals with Western Europe and the U.S. Blows my mind. Right? So, like, they're free, in air quotes, as a democracy, but their economy is crippled by its uh, dependence on the U.S. That's the only way they really can go. Yeah. Well, it's like a Latin American country where, like, we install a dick, we install a puppet, a puppet, yeah, or whatever. We call it a democracy. Yeah, (laughs) but it's like all austerity. Right. So they they are now in their their democracy is a neoliberal hellscape. Beautiful. I'm not saying uh, that Russia should invade them, but they were not doing great before that. And the reason that Russia invaded was like you know. Because we were trying to put uh, missiles right on their border. And that reminds me of like the Cat Williams joke. Like, why are you going to blame a tiger for being a tiger? That tiger was just doing tiger shit. (laughs) Like the U.S. is literally like uh, like those teenagers at the zoo in San Francisco that were poking the tiger. Right. (laughs) And then it's just like, all right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what would they expect, though? That's the other thing I've been thinking about this whole time is. There are so many bases the United States has around the world. Word. And wh- does Russia have that? Like, do they have like random bases in like in like Cuba and shit? Like, what the fuck? Yo, the best thing about this whole conflict is now that uh, now our negotiations are warming up with Venezuela, who was like an evil empire, a tyrant, uh, civil rights, human humanitarian disaster, supposedly according to us. Until uh, two weeks ago, because now we need oil from them. Yeah, they're like, we love Venezuela. Yeah, and now we're like, actually, well, actually, Venezuela is actually, uh, it's a vibe down there. It's great. <laughs> yeah, and the uh, the real crazy thing about that is like 1% of our oil, or at least the EU's oil, comes from Russia. Mm-hmm. So just even fucking with 1% of something... It makes them go crazy. Yeah, dude. Oh, you were bringing up, but we're gonna have like a famine around the world now because oh, like thirty yeah. percent uh, of the world's wheat comes from the Ukraine. The Ukraine, yeah, <laughs> and it's just getting destroyed and mangled. Yeah. So, uh, shout outs to everyone who's not gonna be able to eat grape nuts and bread and yeah. <laughs> all the bread lovers. Imagine all yeah. these sourdough chefs from the pandemic era. Yeah. The only people that don't care about this are people with celiac disease. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Gluten-free, the gluten-free community is pumped now. Yeah, everyone's going to be on a uh, non-voluntary gluten-free diet for <laughs> for a year. Oh, dude, and beer? What's going to happen to beer? Right? Yeah. Well, so people are saying that there's wheat futures that you could invest in mm-hmm. and go long on because they're just going to shoot up because the demand is going to be so high. So should we invest in wheat futures? I mean, that's what the word on the street is, yeah, and like... Um, USO, like the US oil. I mean, these are things that are making sense based on what's happening and trend trending around the world in terms of conflict and the effect of it. But yeah, I mean, there's going to be a famine. There's all types of crazy shit that's going to happen. This inflation is not being put arrest. Do you have Joe Biden in that last speech? He was like, "Oh, another thing. We're gonna get. We're gonna wrangle this runaway inflation shit." And it's been it's up the highest it's been since two thousand and eight. Sick, yeah. But actually, it's the highest leap that it's taken in forty years. Mm-hmm. But it's the highest percentage, I guess, that it's been since two thousand. It's insane, and it's not going to stop. But nobody's paying us more, and you know the gas companies 
are making out like bandits because it's just one percent of the supply is being disrupted, yet they're able to charge, you know, seventy five percent more per gallon. Uh, what's bananas to me is also uh, our misguided sense of altruism or yeah, sentimentality for the American public that we are looking at uh, our politicians sending billions in arms aid to the Ukraine. Uh, and w that is directly all of that money should be going to bullet trains here or R&D here and building up our infrastructure and building up our education systems so that we don't fall behind. Like right now in the world, I'm rooting for China 100% because as a species, China is like the only place that seems like it has its shit together. Yeah, I mean, there, there's good, in my opinion, there's good and bad things. That, because I obviously hate the Chinese government because of the, many reasons. But oh, the you mean situation. the Uyghurs? Yeah. And how come there are no tears being shed for the Uyghurs right well, now? No, nobody cares about them except in this country for some reason. Yeah. Uh, you, why Why should I shed a single tear for like uh, uh, an 11-year-old orphan making it across the border to Poland? He made it. Yeah. Uh, when People none of us know anything about the Uyghurs here. Yeah. Why And why is it that we were watching two-year-olds, three-year-olds face down in the sand on the beach dead because they fell out of boats yeah. when they were struggling to be refugees to Western European countries? And then... Yo, shout-outs to my new religion, Whataboutism, because yeah. uh, I'm a convert to it. I pray to Whataboutism five times a day because that is my shit. Also, I'm a People moral... People are hating that, too. Yeah, you know what? They can all fucking suck a dick. Yes. I'm a Whataboutist. Proudly, I'm also a proud moral relativist, and I don't care. Yeah. No, I'm the same way. I, I've kept saying it last week. I just couldn't stand people acting like war is a new concept. Yeah, These dude. people's eyes are being open to the reality of the world. I'm like, yeah, Yo, you know how many active wars there are right now? How many active conflicts, at least? Mm -hmm. How many people are living under the boot of soldiers every day in their life and Yo, are being peace, occupied. Uh, peace to everybody in Yemen right now who is, uh, and there's a genocide happening there, in and a, that is... Uh, insane famine. U.S. Uh, military. It is our guns being used by the Saudi Arabians. And our missiles. To, yeah, to kill Yemenis. And we don't think about it or know about it. Um, most people, you know, um, we're... we're <laughs> Everybody in Palestine, peace to everybody in Palestine. Yeah. And uh, this everything that people are crying about right now. I'm like, yeah. Yo, this has been happening in Palestine for fucking decades. Yeah. Literally this exact thing that's happening. And uh, much worse, actually. In the Ukraine, they were already at war from 2014 to now uh, in the um, eastern regions where the uh, ethnically Russian Ukrainians live. And those ethnically Russian Ukrainians. Yeah, man, when I hear about their their struggles, they just it makes me think about Mexican Americans in right. that they are um their culture is being uh erased by the ultra nationalist Ukrainians in the West, the part of that country. Right. They're they are already at, at, in an ideological cultural war with them and they are bombing those areas it, internally. So Ukrainians were already killing Ukrainians. Yeah. Before Russia showed up. It's really <laughs> interesting to see how everyone so, yeah. is just catching on. Uh-huh. Yeah. It, it's yeah. just but more complicated. What about ism is a huge thing where people are like, it's not productive to say what about. And I'm like, yes, it is, because we need to acknowledge everyone. We can't selectively believe in human rights. Look, also shout outs to all my friends that worked at RT. And I don't yeah. work at RT. Russia doesn't pay me. I would be excited if Russia or China or any country decided to give me money. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yo, it's if you want to, I know, dude, if an oligarch wants to join our Patreon, by the way, Halal Cartels is on Patreon, but anybody who wants to join, you are welcome to do that. I don't make money off this. Uh, I speak out of righteous indignation. Yeah. And RT, they, um, Redacted was their yeah. comedy show. Yeah, Redacted. Very few, honestly, nobody watched it. Nobody cared about RT, but some of very talented people worked there. Yeah, it was like uh, Joffer, Anders. Yeah, uh, John F. O'Donnell, uh, Lee Camp, um, Naomi Carvani. Uh, great, 
great people were working there. Yeah. Uh, Abby Feldman used to work there. Um, Carlos Delgado. So, you know, and what I really appreciated about that was that, yes, it was a Russian-funded uh, site, but everyone who worked there had the freedom to speak on any issue they wanted to in the United States and actually do investigative journalism. So if you turn on MSNBC, if you turn on Fox, if you turn on CNN, you don't really hear about what uh, the deals going on with Big Pharma. You don't really hear about which arms uh, manufacturers are getting contracts in DC. <laughs> yeah. You don't really hear you about- You would never hear about that shit. Uh, the ecological impact of uh, you know whatever, the oil refineries off of the coast of the Gulf of Mexico. So, but you could turn on RT and they would name names and be like, here is the private uh, prison. G here is Geocorp. And here's the CEO of Geocorp. And here's where they're building new prisons. So they were exposing uh, the reality of the economic system in the U.S., warts and all. And uh, that is why it was valuable to have RT as a uh, news outlet. Yeah, and Jaffer even said that they allowed him to speak his mind on Russia invading Ukraine. And he was like, of course I wouldn't align with that. Yeah. But they were okay. That's kind of Putin's playbook though. He would even finance uh, voices that were against him. Of dissent. Right. Yeah. Only to delegitimize them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But we're making it sound like that is unique and that he's the only person to do that where um, I, I, w I wonder though, like if, Somebody offered me a job to be a Tucker Carlson type weirdo right. on Fox right. or uh, a comedian on Fox or a comedian at RT, which one would be morally, which one is at more ethical? You know, I'd say RT for sure. <laughs> at which place can you actually say what you want to say and speak truth? And cause like the other one, you know, on Fox, I'd have to be like, what's up with cancel culture, critical race theory, Meh. Yeah. like all day. All day. You could <laughs> never have a different opinion. I mean, they're hand fed their opinion. Yes. And then they just have to say it through their distinct, like shitty personality. Yes. <laughs> so uh, I'm all about whataboutism. Uh, and and it's sad because like also Abby Martin, she had a wonderful show called The Empire Files. Over four, 500 episodes uh, yep. were on YouTube. Yep. And YouTube has taken down um, all of this wonderful content that gave an alternative, alternative is the wrong word, but gave a more 360 degree uh, picture. Yeah, the context. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because I'm not into alternative media. I think that term alternative is, is uh, bullshit because... Yeah, it is. You yeah. know, because it's like, eh, this is the real stuff, conspiracy stuff. It's like, no, man, I just want all of the facts presented. Right. Well, that's what's happening right now is they're just going on sloganry. This is classic. Uh, during the Gulf War, they just hyped America up with bullshit sloganry because they were doing something ter very terrible. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And since then, <clears throat> I've noticed it. It's all about. This feeling, this emotion. It's like an advertising campaign for going to war. And it's bullshit. And so they don't want people to have the context or understand why things are the way they are. They would rather actually pe people be devastated by what's happening in Ukraine, but not acknowledge the war crimes that the United States is responsible of to this very day. Like, they're still committing them. The drone bombings, for example, it's something that if Russia was doing that, yeah. To the Ukraine, people would be horrified. This is war crimes. This, you know, and yeah. they they don't want people to see that. So that's the thing that thing you bring up though, they are able to just deplatform people at any moment. Yeah. Uh, from any big platform. So it's like when you build up content and when you participate on a platform, you should always know that it's not your it's this content is no longer yours for having put it there. Your terms and agreements say that they can turn out your lights anytime they want to and prevent you from putting anything up there. And you can build all this equity there by way of followers, et cetera. So everyone needs to decentralize that shit. Own it for yourself. You should have your own database of your own. 
look, everybody, you got to invest in seeds. You got to get non-GMO <laughs> seeds that don't have a suicide gene in them. You got to make sure that you can plant corn and that the seeds from that corn you can replant year after year after year. Also, get into gold, platinum, silver. I'm into all that. Get yourself a camo thong. You need to make sure that you've got camo underwear in case you get stuck in a situation where you got to make a move quickly maybe escape an amorous escapade and hide in the jungle if the government is coming for you big time you know what i mean yeah all that that's literally (laughs) it it's like you have to decentralize your content and those are the things you need to talk about (laughs) part of centralized content though is the advertising machine behind them that makes it lucrative for people to put their stuff on that platform that's how they're winning over content creators is by trying to show an elaborate share compared to other places. And then that's where they naturally think people will want to build their following and have a home. Uh, But I think the next thing really seriously is going to be leveraging crypto, leveraging decentralized, you know, kind of um, ways of doing things in order for uh, creators, content creators, artists, and everyone to be able to get a fair shake, get paid better. And um, yeah. And then also be able to own their stuff and be able to turn it on and off at their leisure. That would be the dream. Yeah, that would be the dream. I, uh, as I'm kind of a a Luddite with a lot of this stuff. And I think um, something that, that struck me was our sanctions in Russia. And it's not that I feel bad. It is, what it struck me as we should be worried about this here when the sanctions hit Russia, Google Pay stopped working there yeah. and all they couldn't ride the subway yeah. because all of their cards got turned off. Because they're dependent on Google. They became dependent on Google Pay. To yeah. Be the, yeah. And again, a, a reason that I think that China is amazing is because China has its own internet. They have their own everything. And everybody, uh, that is, we are dependent on, how much are we dependent on? They could get shut off tomorrow. How much of your material is in the cloud? Because the cloud can get turned off tomorrow. Every family photo you have that is not a hard copy can get erased. Yeah. Uh, All of your financial records. Yeah. So. We're so dependent on the cloud. And I, I never wanted to be that way. Yeah. But. It's getting increasingly scary, but uh, they could turn off the spigot at any time, and uh, and we saw that happen in Russia, and we're applauding it because we're like, hell yeah, let's make let's make the middle class in Russia bleed for crimes that they're not committing, you know, uh, unless uh, unless you do believe that every c- civilian is responsible for what their military does, right? In which case, we are responsible. Yeah, we're all the worst people for America. everything our country does. And if that is the case, then any act of violence against us would be justified as well. Right. And then they say that the reason they're doing this is to put the pressure on the government from the people. But that government doesn't listen to the people. Right. So sanctions don't work in an autocracy. Yes. You dummies. Yeah. They only whenever we use that term accountable, which is like a fucking weird catchphrase, like we need to hold people accountable. Like you can't hold a dictator accountable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, you think somebody's gonna go up to him and be like, "Hey, the people are suffering." I just wanted to let you know. <laughs> Maybe you should uh should stop the bad stuff you're doing. It's like, yeah. Hey, oh, yeah. okay, cool, man. We're going to throw you in front of a firing squad now. Thanks yeah, that's for, great. Uh huh. Thanks for the tip. The next election where I'm the only person on the ballot is in 12 yeah. years. So you can hold me accountable then yeah. at the ballot. Yeah. It's like so, uh, somebody put this guy in front of a firing squad and. T- Tape it for me to watch later. I'm busy. <laughs> Running my campaign. <laughs> On both sides, two two sock puppets <laughs> arguing with each other. Which version of this do you like? It's like an AI sex robot. <laughs> uh, well, hey, friends. Thank you for listening to another episode of Halal Cartels. Um, you know, as always, we have a Patreon. We would love it if you subscribe. It's going to be in the show notes. I'm Gabe Pacheco, and you can find me on Instagram at GabePack1. And I'm Samir Nassim. You can find me on Instagram at Samirmon, S-A-M-E-E-R-M-O-N. 
Yeah. And join once you join the Patreon, you can get on our Discord, and we're going to start to have lively conversations there. And you can also drop in the Discord or email us if you um, if you have any topics you would like us to to chop it up over. And now, uh, please listen to the sweet sounds of Brown Privilege, a.k.a. Serene Patel. Peace.